0: welcome to the daily canon podcast here to talk all things arsenal is your host matthew wade hello again listeners welcome to another daily canon weekly podcast it's me your host matthew wade as per usual but also i'm joined by anita sambol how are you anita
1: hello hello matthew it's really good it's sunny day here in croatia nice for fall <laughs> but not so nice after the weekend we had, although I was, let's say, lucky enough to miss the match <laughs> and still, you know, flying high on the derby win last weekend.
0: <laughs> well, from what you were saying off air, you were lucky enough to miss the match whilst also being in its presence. So you <laughs> knew what you were missing and therefore uh, could, it could still take a fair amount from even the glimpses that you saw. And you were saying that... Uh, both, both, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. The match was on the, on TV. We were visiting some friends and the match was on TV, so I caught a few glimpses of it and it didn't seem like uh, something... I was missing a lot, you know. Every time there was a close-up, it was Ramsdale and it was Brighton's chance or something. Yeah, it, it didn't look really, really good. And then I actually went on on Twitter today to ask if I should rewatch the whole match to you know get the the feeling, the see what happened, or just go with highlights. And there were some comments like there were no highlights. <laughs> <laughs> so I went with the highlights on the Arsenal official page and uh, watched the always amazing Steven's video on the YouTube channel with analysis and everything. I think that's plenty. And better. you know, to still feel like, yeah, you're going in a really fine direction after the win- few wins we had back to back.
0: Well, I mean, it was... I-, I was about to say it was an interesting game, but it, it wasn't in terms of incident, but it was... Interesting from the perspective. Of firstly, Brighton are much better than Spurs. That's quite interesting. Um, but also, just seeing the you know some of the limitations of the system that Arteta got working so well against Spurs. But also, uh, we also saw Le Conga isn't at Xhaka's level yet, which I think we all probably knew anyway. But in terms of knowing knowing how to adapt to a game plan that wasn't necessarily working. He, he he didn't really know how to combat the fluidity in midfield that Brighton have. Um, I mean, Brighton are a really interesting team. I mean, Graham Potter's also obviously did a great job at Usterson's and and then did well at Swansea and and um, you know. Uh,
1: yeah, and it, he was often mentioned as something many people would wouldn't mind having at Arsenal if Arteta doesn't turn up. Well.
0: Yeah, and and I mean the one question about Potter really is can he get his team to be goal-scoring as well as uh, playing well and controlling? Because one of the big things that Brighton have is they had it all last season where they're kind of equal or better than most teams in most games they play in terms of the overall balance of play, but they just don't score goals. And while you can kind of put that partly down to the quality of players they've got in the final third, it's also, I think, down to the fact that the tactics they play... Achieve midfield domination, but don't get that many bodies into the box unless unless they've got particularly controlled possession. So, the only times they get a lot of people in the opposition penalty area is either, you know, defensive mistake or, you know, uh, can uh, give the team giving the ball away in a dangerous area, or um, if they've got really controlled possession, but then it's a lot easier for their team to be defending against. And we saw a lot of that in this game where Brighton had a, a lot of the ball in quotation dangerous areas, but uh there weren't that many good chances uh, and actually most of their best chances still came from set pieces um
1: yeah when you, when you look at the stats it's like what, what was it, twenty-one shots uh from brighton against the hours eight or something like that Well, remembered. and yeah it, it's really big difference but when you look at that i think steven made that point in, in the video and it's really well said and it often shows how statistics only show just as just as much, you know, because their chances weren't that good. The XG, XG of, of those chances was all pretty, pretty bad. Maybe same or similar as, as our chances. So it wasn't like that. They were... Like twenty or so uh, chances better than than our mm-hmm. team was, but yeah, maybe they do need to maybe they should have invested the Ben White money in a striker.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that there, there is there is that question, mark, and I but I, th- I think it's partly about that, but I think it's also partly about you know, a bit like we saw with Sheffield United in their first season where they had played this you know these attacking center halves and caught a lot of teams on un- un- unawares. But still didn't score that many goals. And it was partly they had an issue with a lack of quality of strikers, but also it's dominating without creating that many cha- actual proper chances. And there was a bit of that. And of course, as Arsenal fans, we've seen quite a lot of that in recent seasons where you can have a lot of the ball. But the difference is we tend not to take that many shots from like 25 yards out, unlike a lot of other teams. And we don't have the set piece that, that Brighton have got. I mean, they play three centre halves and they're all giants. Particularly now, Ben White has been replaced by uh, Shane Duffy coming back from his, his rejuvenative loan spell at Celtic, and they've got yeah they've got some really they're a big team apart from uh, you know players like Lamptey who wasn't playing and, and, and Mope and a couple others, but they're mostly big guys, so they are a real danger from set pieces and. And then they're not averse to a bit of the dark arts at the set pieces as well. Uh, but
1: what I've seen again in the stats, uh, that Ben White actually did pretty well in uh, mm. in air. I think it was three out of three aerial duels.
0: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, he wasn't too often having to be the one competing at set pieces of those players, but uh, well, mm. he did win a, couple, uh, a header from, from a corner very dominantly, and he, he's growing into his confidence in that arena, I think, but I thought he was he was one of our three best players in, in the game I thought he looked really comfortable actually despite I thought it was as good a game as we've seen from him and it might have been partly who he was up against or the, the balance yeah, of the game
1: extra motivation <laughs>
0: yeah or but also you know Brighton not having that same quality in the penalty area as some of the other recent opponents might do Um but he looked extremely comfortable throughout the game, despite the fact it was a game in which the team didn't look comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there was a lot of sort of five out of ten performances, but he he was one of three or four that, that went above that for me. Uh, yeah, I've
1: seen the, him, uh, Ramsdale and Emil Smith-Rowe that were uh, outstanding out from the rest of yeah, the team. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say
0: that... And 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 possibly Gabrielle as well. Um, they mm. those were our best players in the match. Um, others were either... I mean, our midfield couldn't get hold of Brighton's midfield, um, and it's partly because Brighton do something quite interesting where they play. Uh, that they play players who are comfortable centrally in wide areas as well. So there's a lot of kind of positional rotating, mm-hmm. um, but it's clearly they're clearly very well dr- drilled at it. Um, and we didn't really know how to combat it, particularly as they align that with really, really good pressing. Um, and yes. you know that's been something we've we've struggled with at times for years now. And, and of course, if you're up against a coordinated press and you've got a team that doesn't really have a coordination together, really beyond like a handful of games, then that's quite a challenge. Do
1: you think that the starting lineup might? Different starting lineup in the front might have changed it. I've seen some comments like, perhaps this was a great match for Pepe to get more chances, and perhaps Lacazette would have been much better than Aubameyang because of his hold-up play and all of that. Maybe no. well, a mistake.
0: I, well, I can see why people would say that. It it, it is that kind of, uh, but it's that kind of guessing game with which is going to be more effective. Because we saw when Lacazette came on, we went knitting things together a little bit better in the final third. And, and we all know he's that's more of his game than Bamiang Bamiang can link if it's a transition break play, but he can't link if there's if there's people back um, or as, as effectively. But at the same time, you know, Bamiang was marginally offside for being clean through one-on-one, you know, and, and yeah. he offers that pace. And Brighton were playing quite a high line, so... I could see the sense in Aubameyang, but the problem is we didn't get enough control in midfield to be able to spring him in, in those places. So in retrospect, I think you know maybe Lacazette would have been the better option. But
1: maybe even if he came on a bit earlier,
0: something that uh-huh. I was
1: mentioning <laughs> in game management.
0: <laughs> well, it was it was one of those ones where, yeah, watching the game, it was kind of working out we knew that a change was needed. It was working out what the change would be and when, not just in terms of second-guessing Arteta, but also what, what, what would be the most effective, it was quite a hard call because the players that you had on the bench that could potentially change things were probably players that you'd bring on to take off other players you'd probably quite want to keep on the pitch because of their potential to change things. Mm-hmm. In the end, taking Erdegaard off and moving Smith-Rowe central uh, was very sensible for me. I think that was that's exactly what I'd have done because Odegaard was just he just couldn't get the get on the ball in the game and and, and when he's
1: yes Stephen mentioned that in the video that he didn't know what to do <laughs> yeah
0: uh, and because of that that obviously limits his effectiveness because yeah regardless of his his pressing it's much harder as a as a one striker and a, and a number ten to successfully press three centre-halves, you know, it is just much more difficult and Brighton really exploited that. Um, so our attempts to press from our front two, there was plenty of effort, but it wasn't achieving anything because just of the way that Brighton was set up. Um, but also, it was a heavy, quite heavy pitch with all the rain and and there was, it was clear that we were only going to get our chances in transition than breaks and therefore more pace on the pitch, I think was, you know, the way the rest of the team was set up then we kind of had to Go further in that direction, because uh, there wasn't the balance to go the other way. I think, and and I think Smithrow was good when he went central as well. Uh, you know, I thought I, I thought certainly an attacking sense, he was our best player by some distance. Um, and He's been
1: a good, good season so far.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, a little bit rusted the first couple of games, but he's certainly looking like the number ten shirt isn't proving too heavy for him. <laughs> um, uh, and rightly is getting a lot of praise, and actually. Uh, he's probably outshined Saka in, in in two or three of the games so far this season.
1: Yeah, definitely. Out of the two, he definitely has a but but better season. I mean, I I had an impression that Saka was still a bit, perhaps you know, not not in it completely after everything that has been ha- happening during the summer, and all, which is totally understandable. So yeah, and now well, hopefully it's not a big injury, just just big enough to miss the international break, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I may say so.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I believe that artist has come out and said that there's basically no concerns there, so... Uh...
1: Yeah, I think he said he will have checks, but he was walking, so it's okay.
0: <laughs> Scientific there, there you go. <laughs> he can't be hurt, he's walking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a really difficult game to try and... like. He, What I found quite impressive about Brighton is even sort of watching for the removal of a screen, it was quite hard to see, to be confident about what Arsenal could change to be more effective other than just, you know, moving the ball more quickly and, 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 um, you know, perhaps changing the balance in the midfield a bit. Um, But, you know, there's some games, you know, you can watch and it's, it's what the problem is. And you can, we can all come up with five solutions how to how to maybe change things. But this was one where it was it, I, I had sympathy for our Arteta because I I wasn't sure myself that I was confident in knowing what to do to to change it. Uh, I
1: mean, they are. We have to face it. They are in a really good form. I think that they were second last weekend or something that yeah, like. yeah. would yeah. have been it first, first if they, they were. They were. Top, I think. Yeah, yeah it's it, you have to look at not just not just us and how we performed they are really in a good form and the weather was really rubbish um it's just i would say it's a point gained rather than two lost
0: yeah i mean it's... sort of going into the match i i thought we would we would win but that, then uh, i hadn't sort of seen enough of brighton to recognize that they've actually got better under Potter than they were last season. I thought they were much the same thing, um, looking at at them statistically, but actually seeing the way they controlled the match. They were even better than their decent performances last season. Um, So, yeah, I I, I was happy enough with with the result. I wasn't too disappointed. Ultimately, it still keeps the unbeaten run going. It's it's a... it's a tricky game. If Brighton keep their players fit, they're going to be a difficult opponent for a lot of teams, even though they're a bit toothless up front at times. Um, so, I mean, you know, as always, it's the end of the season. It, totally, it tells you if it's a good result, but certainly what we've seen so far, getting stuffed by Man City seems less tr- less terrible than it might <laughs> have done. And and as I said at the time, losing to Brentford was not nearly as, en- with half the team missing, was not nearly as embarrassing as a lot of people interpreted it. You know, Brentford, <laughs> good side.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's it, was, uh, it wasn't that similar, but you know, in this, in a feeling, similar match to this one against Brighton as it was against Brentford, and we lost that one, and we lost a few similar to uh, to Brighton last season. So it's kind of an improvement, if you would.
0: Well, the key thing know. is, is you know, what you have to take from it from an Arsenal perspective, as as I'm sure you're, you know, uh, uh, would agree, is that we didn't concede a goal in a game in which we didn't play well. And so we made sure we got out of there with something. And yeah. actually, you know, Brighton didn't have, you know, glaring misses. They had, you know, one or two that perhaps they'd want another go at. But um, our, our back line, certainly our centre-halves and our goalkeeper performed very well. Tommy Asu actually had a bit of a rough time of things. Uh, you know, having been anointed by the fan base as the the, the new Sania. Uh
1: well, it's normal. I mean, yeah, it's just how it goes. You can't expect hundred percent and man of the match performance every single week from a player like that. So it's, it, it,
0: it was sort yeah. of quite interesting how he kept on pretty much in his pocket, uh, yeah. but, but but was really struggling against Kukurea, the Brighton's new left wing back. Mm. and um, yeah, it's sort of not an opponent you'd expect a defender to struggle against, but Tomiyasu really struggled against him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, Kukure-, Kukure is a player that I'd I've, I've seen before and was was you know quite liked, but you know. If- <laughs> Is not quite the level, but for for our aspiration. But I thought he was a good good sign from Brighton. But I didn't know he was as as good as I saw (laughs) the weekend. You know, he was he was very impressive, very very bright and alert and assertive in his play, and quite more combative than I thought he'd be. Um, So credit where it's due. But yeah, that that was a bit of a uh, a reality check for. But yeah, Tomiyasu, but also perhaps Tommaso himself, um, who seems to take really weird throw-ins. <laughs> yeah, and,
1: fault fault roles. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, he got he got done for one, and he probably should have got done for a couple more.
1: <laughs> what is it, Dawson? Fault
0: <laughs> It's the right back position. It's seen a Hector's passed on his mantle. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, uh, did you did you see that Bellerin made a a, a bad mistake for uh, uh, Villarreal to, to beat Betis this weekend.
1: <laughs> oh, I ha- I haven't, really.
0: Oh. Well, it, I mean, it, it was just basically miscontrolled uh, an interception straight to an opposing attacking player who then beat another defender and scored. Uh,
1: and to Emery's Villanelle.
0: To, to Emery, yeah, who seems to be getting great return. At, the bloke who scored the goal was Dan Juma, who, was last seen playing occasionally for Bournemouth in, in and is now tearing it up in La Liga and doing quite well in Europe as well. So that's sort of interesting. Um, But yeah, in, in terms of the game itself, I mean, was there anything you gleaned from highlights uh, or discussion that you've seen about it beyond what I've said already? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I think we touch upon the main point still showing that... The, Ramsdale really is a fantastic signing from the, this summer. I was doubtful because of the high price and all of that. But, I mean, now all those clean sheets that he, he keeps keeps having, oh, obviously the defense also helps. But just seeing on you know, the highlights, I think that uh, Lena wouldn't be able to stop some of those shots, especially those that late one in the second half.
0: Uh, There was the sort of one that was a sort of like a cross that he palmed out almost, was that?
1: I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's a
0: different sort of mindset of goalkeeping because that's to do with Ramsdale's aggression to come for kind of balls across the box, which Lennon doesn't have in the same way, I think.
1: Yeah, I I keep liking him more and more every every match. (laughs) Just, you know, the performance he puts in and the the character that he brings to the team as well. So really... Really happy with the bit, that signing and the rest. I mean, I hope I, uh, Gabriel lost lost his tooth. I think yeah, yeah, two, yeah, yeah. But fixed them right away. I, I saw on Instagram. <laughs> okay,
0: <great.
1: laughs> he was. His dentist said that he was really brave. Okay, <laughs> <He's> <laughs> to the dentist. <laughs> yeah, but I mean. Other than that, as I said, I think it's a point gained against a team in form and on a really in in bad circumstances when you think when you see the weather and all of that, and uh, something to build on after the international break, which is really a long one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 important to keep the unbeaten run going, and um, I mean, just on Ramsdale, I presume in the highlights you saw the bit where he kind of slightly dropped the ball when it was... Uh, and then he got absolutely clattered.
1: Yeah, I think... I mean, I mean it happens. I think that if, if the ball even went in, if it was a goal scored, I think that VR wouldn't give it
0: because it was obviously a foul. Well, no one seemed to... Well, the referee didn't give a foul and uh, <laughs> and, and none of the commentators seemed to think it was a foul from any of the different uh, outlets. All, all were kind of, oh, he's dropped it, you know, you know and, and it's a bit of a, a mistake. But he gets absolutely wiped out,
1: yeah
0: I mean if it's but then you don't know this season because they're you know as as we saw maybe possibly to our benefit last week, depending on what your opinion is, VAR is a lot more circumspect <laughs> in terms of uh, not wanting to intervene too much, and given that we saw Burnt Leno basically getting wrestled for the for the second goal at Brentford, uh, you know one doesn't want to assume anything um
1: that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that was, there was lots of discussion about that. Was it wasn't a foul? Wasn't it? Yeah, I think that this one would begin because, as you said, it was really obvious. And I think it wasn't talked about as much because it didn't result in a yeah. goal or something. Well,
0: it's also- just hope
1: so. I mean, English refs—you never, 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 never know. I mean, we saw—I don't know if you watched the City against Liverpool match. Yeah. I mean, Gen- Gen-
0: <laughs> is, I mean, diplomatic immunity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. I saw a tweet saying uh, Chaka would get deported for <laughs> things this. <military. laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we've we've also seen like De Bruyne's. I mean, this is not British, not just British rest. We saw De Bruyne in the Champions League.
1: Yeah, as well. I mean,
0: that that was that was a, an ugly, 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 ugly. Time.
1: Variable, yeah, could you know. have been really. For a dangerous. player that we
0: know isn't a dirty player, but it was, it was a, t- it should have been a red card. There's no two ways about it. Um, so, yeah, coming off the end of the game, we find ourselves grateful for a point. Um, I suppose the question is is it, is it, I mean, it's something to build on, but is it something which just dampens the enthusiasm a little bit of because we all got a bit euphoric after the North <laughs> London derby. Um, well. And, and, and maybe we're having to reassess, was it that we played really, really well or is it that Spurs are worse than we thought?
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it's not just the, the derby and, and Spurs. I mean, we had a really fantastic uh, whole month, September, Arteta nominated for the manager of the month and all of that. It was really... Uh, I think that we should build on that rather than you know this, this draw against a team in form uh, away from home but still plenty to learn from, from this match maybe to see how to break defences and pressing that they had against against us and again the same issue that we always have using the chances and being more clinical up front as well.
0: Yeah and also the continued adaption of some of the newer players to the team. Um, I mean obviously it's no surprise that Given where the game was and the conditions that Ben White and Ramsdale looked comfortable, whereas Erdegaard and Tommyassi looked a little bit over and Lekongo looked a little bit overawed, um, you know they're not they haven't played against Brighton or at least not in any meaningful game. Uh, you know they've not played a lot of time in English football. They've probably not played in that con- those conditions in England before. So there's a, there's a bit of ad- adaptation there. Um, it was a bit sad seeing Aubameyang trying to chase down aerial balls uh, that he had done reasonably effectively against Spurs, but against the three giants at the back for Brighton. They were just like, no. Nah.
1: <laughs> no way.
0: And uh, football purists, I imagine, would feel comforted from seeing Dan Burn back at left centre half rather than playing at left wing back, which was <laughs> which just meant that every, last season every diagonal ball was donked onto his head. Um, but yeah, the you know we 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 coped well, and particularly with their set aerial threat at set pieces, so that has to be a a positive. Um, I mean, international break is a bit you know it's always. I mean, this international break at this point in the season is always a bit like mm. yeah, <laughs> <could> do that. <laughs> uh, You know, and if Wenger gets his way, there'll be less international breaks, but more World Cups. So, um, <laughs> actually, see, just what, just what on see, difference... what do you think about okay.
1: that? The two, two two year World Cups.
0: Yeah, well, well, the whole Hungarian proposal.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm not sure. I mean, on the one hand, when it comes to the national team and all that, I I love watching my national. I mean, don't I don't always love watching how they play, similar to, to Arsenal. <laughs> but still, I, I mean, I I enjoy the matches and uh, going to the matches and all of that, but. Every two year the World Cup. Every two year, I think that it's a, it's too much for for the players. We have been saying that they are overplayed, that they don't get the chance to rest at all, and which brings on more injuries and everything that's that's been happening. We've seen that when we had the the games that had to be played after the pandemic and all of that, more. More more games in each month, and what it's done to some players—it's just too much. I think. I think that maybe even it would uh, like make it less less exciting, less spectacular, to put it that way. To have it so often, it's like, oh yeah, it comes every now and then. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I, I something I don't really agree with. With Wenger, which is not r- really often.
0: <laughs> of course, it was kind of because uh, Wenger was being interviewed about it, and he was being wonderfully disingenuous. Uh, of basically, saying that oh, you know that w- 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 you know what do you want me to do? Uh, and, and people, and no one's happy with the status quo. He was saying, you know, everyone I speak to, they all say that they want something. To, you know, um, uh, but. I just think that's not true, actually. <laughs> I, I think that in terms of the the you know, we could agree, definitely agree with some of these proposals about making perhaps shortening the number of qualifying games or or you know um or or, or clustering qualifying games together with slightly longer international breaks, but having less of them. I think those are ideas that are worthy of consideration. But I, I agree with you that I think while the world the World Cup isn't just the five extra games in terms of what it does to the players. It's the pressure and the stakes and the, there's a, there's a massive emotional intensity in there, yeah. which, which we've seen so many times it takes players to recover from. I mean, you know, it totally broke Mesut Ozil. Uh, for mm-hmm. his, um, and, and there's been plenty of players who they do, you do have the world cup hangover, particularly if your team does, does well and is either disappointed late in on the tournament or, or, he wins it, there is still there is always a bit of a World Cup hangover for for the majority of players. Um,
1: Yeah, and pre-seasons when you think of that.
0: Exactly, yeah. Um, But also I agree with you that if it was every two years, like you can get away with having the European Championships and the World Cup alternating because they're slightly distinct from each other and you end up with a different flavour. You know, the, the European Championships are never as magical as the World Cup because you don't have as many different nations in it and you don't have as many surprises. But that that sort of continental concentration does bring in with it its own challenges and surprises and things as well. So I I like the balance it is and you know I'm not averse to change at all, but I just don't see I don't see what the benefit apart from financial would be for having another World Cup every every other two years. Unless it was part of a much wider strategy of reform about distribution of resources globally and um, and infrastructure at in different countries, you know, because it's all well and good talk about wanting to grow the game. But until someone's going to want to actually put money into, the, into football in the countries which are underrepresented, you know, in terms of versus population... An extra World Cup's not going to make a blindest bit of difference because you're just going to have the same teams either not qualifying or if they do qualify, getting knocked out early which doesn't actually grow the game domestically, just being at a world cup and doing very badly doesn't help sport develop in a country. If you do well, then obviously it completely has, it can have a massive effect. But for instance, China are not going to get to the world cup and suddenly turn over three or four opponents, unless there's, mm. unless there's some serious high level, you know, doping or match fixing coming. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, for, for, for me, I'd be open to it if it was part of something far more comprehensive, but the way it's it, it, the way it is being presented as this sort of semi-distinct thing, I just don't think there's any merit in it, to be honest.
1: Maybe it's like a testing feel like they they did again last week with the one league match being played. Uh, in the United States or in Asia or something like that it feels like something that they you know put out in the public you know to see how the public feels what how, what are the comments and all of that and then they assess it and decide if they will go forward with it or not
0: well i think i think the i mean the, the... The the extra league match or the league match overseas idea. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that Arsenal's PR machine worked pretty quickly to shut that down straight away. Mm-hmm. From an Arsenal perspective, because you know the board and the ownership clearly. Rec- you can see by what they've done this season that they recognise that the Super League was a massive cock up, um, and that it only further damaged an already sort of uh, frayed a trust, shall we say, with the supporters. Uh, but the extra game, I think, is, is so nakedly just about money, the, the game oversights yeah. the, uh, and growing commercial markets, in a way that, again, you look at it, you take a step back from it, and even if you're just looking at it from the commercial imperative, I don't see how it can be sufficiently influential to be worth the potential damage it would have from undermining the uh, <laughs> people's vision of, of the competition overall, because... Any any country went and played this game, these games in these handful of games in, they're all watching the Premier League anyway. Mm. It's not it's not like it's it's not like say you're a, a sport like say the the NHL, where there's a hand there's maybe 10, 10 countries in the world that take it very seriously, ice hockey at that level or have or, or play to a high standard. And maybe if you go somewhere else, you're really either growing a new market or 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 giving people who would never have access to that sport at that level, a chance to view it. Whereas football is so universal already. It's so accessible to the entire planet, partly just to its simplicity. We all know that everyone, you know, people halfway up the the fucking mountains in Tibet, you know, they don't know who Donald Trump is, but they know who say david beckham or an equivalent or lionel messi as you know you've got people people in remote villages making messy t-shirts out of bin bags or whatever
1: Yeah, they they all knew who Dawa shukar was in 1998 exactly
0: (laughs) And and it is that and it is that thing where it's such a naked just for more money that it's hard to it's hard to see how anyone would support that without the financial imperative whereas the world cup angle there are other arguments for it you know i I do think it could grow the game i do think it could give more opportunities to smaller nations and particularly to maybe the odd world-class player at an otherwise not great country say like george ware and liberia an equivalent of Mm. that these amazing players that come out of nowhere but that's their national team is going to need all the help it can get to get any international exposure uh i do see merits in all of that but but, but the, the thinking around it's got to be more joined up for me, um, and there's got to be much more alongside a a longer term strategic investment in these other countries, uh, and, and then you, and then you're looking at other things about how does it affect the other federations? Of course, UEFA aren't going to be happy. I can't mm-hmm. imagine that you know CONCACAF and others are going to be particularly happy about it as well, because uh, it's basically a power another power grab by FIFA to put certain other people in their place as well. Whether that's the design or whether that's a knock on effect. Um, and, uh, and and obviously of course just quite apart from that, it doesn't feel very comfortable for us as Arsenal fans seeing Arsenal Renger cozying up to Gianni Infantino. <laughs> I know that you I know that you as a as a as a as a FIFA person <laughs> can't <laughs> talk too much about these such things
1: no it's, it's okay I mean even at the fan movement uh, our groups and all that we all we often have uh, chats and discussions regarding things that are not really you know that might be supported by FIFA but we don't agree with them and there was lots of discussion around Super League and all of that so it's not something it's a good community the fan movement which I'm a part of it's very understanding and welcoming and they are also I mean working on just what you said, making the football even more popular, getting more people interested in and more people involved. Sometimes I don't agree with everything because I mean, you and I and lots of people who listen to this podcast are the type of fans that, you know, you have your club, perhaps your country and you follow them and that's it. And that's all you care about basically. While in some communities like that or, FIFA-related, FIFA fans and World Cup fans might be more related. Like, oh, I'm a Messi fan, I'm a Ronaldo fan, I'm
0: mm-hmm.
1: a fan of this player, that player, and or just, you know, I'm the fan of the stadium experience, I'm the fan of going to the match and stuff like that. So for people like that, uh, having World Cup every two years is something that would attract them and uh, get, as you said, more 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 money, more uh, involvement, and all of that. While for us, it it seems like we're looking from the completely different perspective. And until I wasn't, uh, I, until I did sh- uh, joined the fan movement, I wasn't that much aware of that other type of fan you know that goes to the the matches and uh, they film themselves and uh, the whole experience and all of that other than you know watch what's what's happening on the pitch i mean obviously they they love football they care about football they watch the analysis and all of that but still you have the feeling that they are more about the, you know Perhaps, the, as I said, the whole experience, maybe one player or two players that they are a fan of or something like that. So for them, having a World Cup every two years or having a, one Premier League uh, game being played in their country would be for appealing to fans like that, while it wouldn't be for for us.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, know that, I mean, that's a really good set of points, well made. Um, I mean, I'm glad you said that because it's sort of making me think. <laughs> you know because it, it's 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 sort of football as football as a as an entertainment experience rather than a sporting obsession uh
1: yeah it's it's you have you think about it from a completely different way because we all want to be romantics you know you think football uh like uh, the good old days and all of that and um, just local fans or something like that we are obviously a bit uh, above that with mm. being international and all of that but there's still a level above that we don't really think about and I mean we have to face it football is uh, marketing as well and uh, money making industry and, and everything that's uh, happened we have to be realistic and think about that it, The clubs and even national teams are becoming brands more and more often so it's part. It's it's always always evolving, and in some ways, we will have to adapt, and we will have to follow what big big names decide, and you know that they think that might be the best. We, football has gone through so many changes since it became more popular, and even in the last thirty years since Premier League uh, was made the Premier League, so it will some some changes will happen. Uh, we just need to, you know, see which ones we are okay with, you know, perhaps like uh, increasing the number of teams in Europa League or in Champions League or at the uh, European Championships and things that we are, we should fight against like Super League.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's really well said And, and, and actually when you interrogate it, there are things that you'd be happy to see change, like I'd be happy to see uh, more teams at the World Cup um, uh, as long as it didn't lead to like a huge increase in fixtures if there's a way of working it I'd be happy to see that because I think that would be positive um, but not yeah,
1: perhaps it a better idea than every two two
0: years yeah that's that's how I feel about it but it's also recognizing that you know I as an just as an Arsenal fan, have lived through a period of extraordinary change. You know, when I first started going to the football. You know, and certainly in this country, you know, there was talk of all fans having to carry ID cards because this f- crowd violence was so prevalent. There was no money in football; you could bump into the players in the pub. Uh, you, you know, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you didn't. You know, the idea of having a player from overseas was like, well, you might have one or two, but they, you know, they were always the ones that. Couldn't weren't good enough to go and play in Italy or whatever, um, or or an equivalent, and and just the transformation since then has been so vast, and it's impossible to say that the quality of the game hasn't improved. The results, there's question marks about what the experience of the fan is, whether that's better or not, and I think that depends partly on what your starting point is. Uh, for me, I don't enjoy the fan experience of being at games as much, but that might also be to do with broader social changes and also changes in myself, so I need to sort of interrogate that honestly. Um, and
1: I, the, the fun experience, the stadium experience, I think it's, it varies uh, from league to league, to, from club yeah. to club. I mean, when you look at the Borussia Dortmund, for example, they are always first that came to mind uh, when it comes to you know fans and stadium and all that, they always seem so engaged and the, the yellow wall and all of that is something that perhaps they, uh, Activates the, that the other other side of me, you know. Some I wouldn't really want to go to neutral matches, you know. Something like that, or I'm not the type that. Oh, I'm in this city. I'll go watch some random match, uh, but I would go watch uh, Borussia Dortmund match at there uh, mm-hmm. at home, you know, because of everything that they are doing, and perhaps Roma or something like that, because I think that they also have a good. Atmosphere from from what I've seen. Mm, mm, mm. Maybe. <laughs> Not sure if is that uh, that appeals to you know those that say uh, too much tourists at the at the matches and all of that. But it's it's constantly changing and stadium experience is very important. And I think that. Uh, just circle back to the one match being played abroad, I think that even many Arsenal fans from from abroad, like from America or Asia, that they wouldn't be such so excited to have a club play their uh, league match, you know, a really important match, unlike the preseason, because it's it's just we are all been here for for years now and you connect the, the whole match-going experience with something when you go to the stadium and all that. It's completely different. And uh, for the team and for the fans as well, you have pre-season for seeing your team playing closer to you or for us in Europe when it's European matches that are closer. But I, I mean, if there was a match played in Croatia, the <laughs> A Premier League match played in Croatia, I think I I would go, but it's not something like I would. Yeah, that should happen in next two or three years because that's what I want and I that's what it
0: I what the match was, wasn't it? You know, if it was, <laughs> if, if 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 it was, I don't know, Newcastle against Crystal Palace in Zagreb, would you bother? <laughs> No, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't
1: think. I don't think so because I mean I don't even go to Dinamo's matches in in the in Europe, and mm. they played really big clubs, big teams. They have, they played West West Ham now. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even bother. So,
0: and and that's the thing, isn't it? Is that they talk about these extra games being played in other countries, but ultimately there's only about six or seven. Maybe well, maybe slightly more now, given given the overall spread of quality in the division. But as we all know, there there are some games that make four o'clock kickoffs on a Sunday on Sky Sports, and some that make a Saturday uh, a uh, a Monday night. Yeah. <laughs> and usually, you know what Super Sunday is, you know, and and, yeah. and, and that applies to everything. And as I, you know, if it's well, say if it was Watford, Watford against Brentford, you know, I I'm, I've got a. A massive soft spot for Brentford, as people know, and I and I don't have anything against Watford, Uh, but unless I was a supporter in those teams, would I go and see them play each other? Um, (laughs) Probably not. Probably not.
1: Yeah, I I don't think many many would watch it on TV if it was. Yeah,
0: because at the end of the day, it's even if you're a fan of the players. Because I know there's those, those, there are fans increasingly who, are, who have loyalties more to individual, individuals than clubs, but you're not going to have any of those superstar players playing at those clubs anyway, yeah. generally. Um, yeah. you know, and Those are two non-specific examples, really. So it's another idea why that I don't think will ever happen because, again, it just favours a small, uh, the the it's a bit not quite the tops of the big six again you know but it's it's that sort of thing and 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 the, the merit for the rest of the division as a whole is is limited and therefore i, I don't see it ever be ratified because i think it takes 14 clubs have to say yes for something to happen and i don't think there's 14 that would get enough benefit from it to say yes um because you know Good. I was, I was sort of caught up recently with Gary Neville's in, in, uh, interview with Peter Scudamore, the for, former Premier League chairman. And, and just talking, you know, it's co- quite interesting. Some they disagreed about stuff, but it's quite interesting to hear about some of the process and about actually how, what checks and balances are in. And one of the things he was saying is the Super League, you know, the English team signed up for it, but legally it would have been extremely difficult for them to actually follow through with it. Yeah. Um, quite apart from the, the practical implications and, and, and even without the different associations getting involved like FIFA, UEFA even even the FA whatever Um, circling back to Arsenal um, (laughs) um, although I think that is a valuable conversation to have because it is going to affect if there are any changes it will affect club football as well significantly Um, it's another great great week for the women Uh, a a 4-0 victory away from home
1: yeah I've seen and fantastic goal
0: fantastic goals yeah Um, Kate sorry what was that?
1: Uh,
0: Katie McCabe, right? Yeah, Katie McCabe got an absolute do Yeah, yeah. Uh, keeper uh, clearance didn't didn't go quite where they wanted it to, but still from about forty yards out, chipped the goalkeeper, retreating back in the goal. And uh, lovely goal from Ibouche as well. The uh, assist first in an Arsenal shirt for Tobin Heath, the childhood gooner. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Arsenal women machine keep rolling on, at top of the league, scoring goals for fun. Huzzah, huzzah, huzzah. I mean, there's not much there <laughs> the fact that they're absolutely smashing it.
1: Yeah, they even beat the Tottenham women. They
0: last did. In the well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a, a very tight game until it wasn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, they they took the lead, right? It was 1-0. And then yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The match turned on. And Midema only came in second half. If she, No, she was on un, unused sub. And I was like, oh... This is
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it was
1: just, the women are really good.
0: Yeah, I mean it wasn't even close, it was five one in the end and, and very, very comfortable. Um yeah, uh and, and a great opportunity for some of the, the fringe players, not fringe players, people who haven't been starting, you know, they put the subs. You Know, Caitlin Ford and Nikita Paris both got goals as well. Um, and uh, Iwabuchi scored again, so it's great because it means that this strong squad they've got, particularly in the front line, is getting real, real chance to do to, to rotate and the uh, players. And that's going to be vital for their season going forward.
1: We'll uh, see how they will do with a big test in the Champions League against Barcelona.
0: Well, yeah, that will be a big test. Um, I mean, at least they're not having to play Leon or anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, th- I saw that Sylvan, our main Arsenal women reporter, <laughs> was really angry at the group. The group that uh, our our women got it. It's a really difficult
0: one. Yeah, yeah, not 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 forgiving at all. No. Uh, there's also good news as far as the under 23s and under 18s have gone. Uh, in the under 23s, uh, an- another victory, having got absolutely stuffed in our first game of the season under 23 level uh, since Kevin Betsy coming in. Uh, they're now top of the league in the under 23s. Um, two more goals, Bjorn, from Flo Balagan. Uh, oh. uh, yeah, you, <laughs> I guess you're referring to the piece of skill to win the second penalty.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just filthy. <laughs>
0: That, that was sort of willing in a penalty by just embarrassing the opposition player into fouling. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Although it's in- interesting that of his last four four goals, two of them have been rebounds of, of penalties taken, which have been saved. Uh, <laughs> another one was a penalty scored. Um, but yeah, he's s- scoring like one or two every game at that level at the moment. And it's just a bit easy for him. And there is the big question is, you know, it, as not, none of other strikers left, how the hell is he going to get any game time? And and perhaps it's a loan spell in January for him. I think would probably be the best. Um,
1: this is where we miss the Europa League.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or, or even, dare I say it, the Harry Kane boosting Europa Conference.
1: <laughs> Gosh, that was so funny. He's back. He's he found his form.
0: <laughs> okay. He's against someone that none of us have ever heard of. <laughs> I mean, it that thing. It's like, oh my god, I've been playing football computer games for like twenty five years, and I've never heard of these teams.
1: <laughs> they were they were fifth in Slovenian league.
0: Wow, how many? They te-
1: won it last last season, but uh, they are fifth at the moment. And I was going to say, <laughs>
0: how, how many? How many teams are there in the in the Slovenian top division? <laughs> Ten. Ten. <laughs> exactly. So,
1: mid-table team in Slovenia. <laughs>
0: that hotbed of football power. Um, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, there was another goal for uh, uh, Salah, Ar- Salah, who's got mm-hmm. uh, two great goals in the space of a week. Um, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his full name because it's not very easy to do. And I want to hit, hit at least hear someone uh, who can say it properly, say it before I attempted it myself, but, uh, also, the under-18s won. Uh, Keon Edwards, the young striker who, broke, who was a bit of a regular in the under-18s last season, got a hat-trick away at Norwich City. Um, so, good, because we don't have, actually, despite Balogun's uh, plurific, pluri, pl- pl- prolific nature, <laughs> 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 and BRF obviously doing very well, at uh, under 23 level as well the under 18s there's not a lot uh, of strikers at that age group so there's a lot of good promising midfielders. um but for, but he's yeah banging him in every week and he's i think that's uh 10 goals in 7 games now uh for for a player that there was some question marks about what you know whether he was going to you know they were probably are some question marks about his professional future at the club but obviously no no better way to do things and keep smashing in the goals and and um given that we're going full Project Youth, it's really handy to see that even with a shit ton of our better young players out on loan, that our age groups are still performing to a very high level. Um, and then speaking of players on loan, uh, did you see that Gendouzi was uh, captain of Marseille?
1: <laughs> I see the, the, there are comments about his attitude.
0: Well, it's funny because he was made captain of Marseille for the, for the game just after there have been loads of stories leaked about him basically being in a in a tosspot who's winding up all his teammates. <laughs> um, so it's it's in, interesting what's going on there. Um, but anyway, it doesn't look like he'll be back because you know, he's doing well enough at Marseille that unless things go nuclear there, they'll probably exercise their option. As will Stuttgart for Mavropanos, who so have got a ridiculously cheap uh, to buy a option of like three million quid. Did you see his he's, goal? He scored
1: this weekend, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, he sort of beat two players cutting in from the right and then smashed it in. <laughs> You're like, mm, maybe, maybe too cheap. Uh, <laughs> elsewhere, Torreira's getting some game time for Fiorentina, uh, alternating between starting and being off the bench.
1: I, I keep forgetting about him. Easily done. I mean, <laughs> just like during the summer. Oh, right, we still have Torreira. <laughs>
0: and uh, not a great week for, for a lot of loanees actually um, Miguel Aziz is still injured at Portsmouth Nikolai Muller's not getting any much game time at Victoria Tyrus Tyrus John Jules didn't come off the bench for Black- Blackburn uh, strange enough Alex Runison was an unused substitute uh, no way uh, even on his loan spell Rhys Nelson still hasn't played on loan for Feyenoord, um, despite having been there for five or six games now Um so it's you know it's basically Saliba and uh, and Danny Ballard of our loan players that are doing, and Saliba's had a, a couple of slightly rough games actually as well. Showing he's actually started. I've been looking imperious at the start of his loan spell. He's now starting to show some of the rough edges in his game, sometimes about assertiveness and taking control of a situation, and, and and just that urgency that will be needed at Premier League level.
1: Yeah, that's not really talked about as much as when he has a really great game and good clearances and all that. Yeah. <laughs> that gets more traction.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not not as useful for certain agendas if he's yeah. <laughs> showing that he's still got a lot of development to do. Um, and ultimately, you know, White and Gabriel look to be a very good partnership and it's a damn sight more useful for Saliba long-term to be playing every week for Marseille than it would be in and out of this Arsenal team. Um, you know, the hope is that he can still come back to the club and 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 want to come back and secure a game time in the future and a, and playing at, you know in a big club like Marseille can only help that. It's certainly a step up from the size of clubs he was at before. Um, and so and good old Daniel Ballard keeps running on. The club tried to release him twice, and you know he's, he keeps improving every year, and he's you know playing every week for Millwall and. Has, has is playing every week, pretty much for Northern Ireland. Every time they have a fixture, so good for him. Whether he'll ever reach a standard where he's really up for consideration at Arsenal is, is hard to say. But he's certainly increasing the chances of us getting a decent fee from him if he doesn't. So, uh, and and obviously building himself a good career. So good on him. <laughs> um, and we can't even look forward to the next fixture because it's international break bollocks. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> What we can do, of course, is uh, slightly laugh at Man United, uh, <laughs> given given that your your beautiful man was giving you some grief at the weekend for Arsenal being a bit crap against Brighton. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: they were
0: United again, dro- drop points at home to a, a surprisingly rejuvenated Everton, where having spent. All those millions and millions and millions in the last few summers and not really got any better. They've got Andros Townsend, Damari Gray, and Rondon for a combined like two million or something. And it's their front line. <laughs> and and
1: I, I was really am- amused with their thousand celebration.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Copying Ronaldo.
0: <laughs> I mean, he, you know, he, he said afterwards it was a tribute, but it, it did look like a piss take. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> And and it's interesting because United still, you know, they, they seem to be doing with Jaden Sancho what they did with Donny Van der Beek at the moment, which is going good player buy good player. Oh, what do we do now? <laughs> they bought him to play on the right when he's never played on the right, and they and their best and you know they've got Rashford and Marshallow play on the left, and it's just sort of very just very odd. Um,
1: yeah, Van der Beek didn't look really good uh, on the bench uh, in the Champions League. I think the camera showed him. He was pissed (laughs) when he was on his sub.
0: Well, you would be, wouldn't you? I mean, he's gone from being—he's gone from playing every week in the or every Champions League for Ajax and having a couple of good tournament runs with them, to wanted by loads of clubs, and then going to Man United and 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 then turning up and realizing they don't have a clue what why they bought him. Like they they don't, and and it's such a strange thing because they don't—they don't play setup that has anywhere for him (laughs) you know there's no way he can fit into their team because they've got their you know they've got their defensive double pivot and they've got Bruno Fernandes at number 10 and so he's like what is he is he and then Lingard coming back. What is he? Is he sort of reserved behind Lingard and Fernandez. Well, great. That's two starts a season. Um, yeah. So I, f- I feel sorry for the guy, uh, but yeah. that's what you get for choosing to go to Man United. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck it up. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so we won't bother looking forward to the next fixtures yet. Cause I'll we'll say that for next week when no doubt there'll be other things we to talk about. Uh, um, I didn't really expect to do the FIFA thing today, but Hey, it's a good time as <laughs> any. And not much else to say unless there's anything else you've got that you want to get out of your brain into the world. <laughs>
1: oh, I think we've covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, listeners, well, I hope that sort of roundup and then sort of semi-philosophical discussion about the World Cup and stuff in the middle were at least vaguely interesting to you and that you got something out of this. Um, Anita, as always, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank uh, you. And uh, yeah, if you want to give us any feedback or if you want to ask us to talk about something, particularly as there's an international break coming up and you want us to do a bit more of a deep dive into something, it gives me an excuse to do lots of research uh, rather than spending all my waking hours looking after a the baby, um, then drop us a line on Twitter at Daily and we'd love to hear from you. Um, other than that, nothing to say except for have a great week, everyone. May the weather be better uh, for you wherever you are than it currently is here. Um, We'll speak to you very soon. Thanks again, Anita.
1: Bye-bye.